Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, crypto traders around the world. You know, one little factoid about me that you would not have known is I once, I wouldn't say dated, but let's say courted two women from the UK. And I'm not going to say specifically from where in the UK, because unlike people, I understand that it's called United Kingdom for a reason. There's a lot of different countries in what we call the United Kingdom. So I'm using UK as a generic term so that you cannot identify where these people are from. And of course, I doubt they're listening to the podcast, thankfully. But the point here is I, I was courting them for a while because there was a mutual attraction, especially with one of them in particular. And the attraction was just all, it was, I thought she was attractive, but it was more about personality, right? Styles and common interests and that kind of thing. And of course, the whole name of the podcast, Leisteridge, right? And Leister is, happens to be part of my name. And so there's kind of this pride situation. There was the Leister Baronets. And so there's been this situation where I've taken pride in my ancestry. And what's going on in the UK? Well, unfortunately, there was a news announcement that came out recently. And it's a bit troubling from Great Britain. And if you were not aware about this and what it potentially means, I would suggest that you go and do your research and look into it, especially if you are coming from the United Kingdom. And I know there are some listeners through Spotify who are in the United Kingdom who probably know about this already. And if you have any insight, we would love to hear any information that you have from on the ground. If you go to, if you're on Spotify, you wouldn't know this, but the core podcast is hosted on Substack. If you go to our site, which is CryptoTalkRadio.net, it will take you to our link tree. And at the bottom, we are at the top. Actually, I moved it. We now have a contact us form, which I promised all listeners I would put a contact us form. And you're free to use that in order to send us any messages if you might have any information you want to share. Or you can go to Substack under Basic Cryptonomics, and you can leave it on the commentary specific to this episode. So if it's a episode-specific comment, you got two ways to send us some feedback. And what I'd love to hear from someone on the ground in Great Britain specifically that may know more about this, I would love to hear any information that you're hearing as far as local sentiment, how it's how it's being perceived, how it's being received. Was this something that's popular or not popular? I would assume it's not popular because it's a very scary thing, I would assume. <laughs> but for those that outside of the United Kingdom that don't understand what I'm talking about, and of course, I know there's the whole Brexit and everything that may throw a wrench in some of this, but I, I kind of perceive this in two ways. Let me talk about what's happening first. There was a news announcement that's rolled out early this morning, I want to say about maybe an hour or two ago, and it refers to Britain, and it talks about regulating decentralized finance. If you remember what I said on past episodes, decentralized finance, of course, is going to the various swaps, and it's designed to help ensure your anonymity as you trade various cryptos different than the centralized exchanges where you would go to like LBank or Hotbit or BitMart or even Coinbase or Robinhood to do crypto trading. Those organizations, of course, require KYC more often than not. They want to know who you are so they can track it down and send it to the tax man, right? In the decentralized, there is no requirement for this reporting. You can buy and sell cryptocurrency as you choose as long as you have the members of the pair that they are requiring. So for Binance, it's BNB. For Ethereum, it's ETH or Wrapped ETH. And then Phantom and so on. So Britain is looking at trying to regulate the decentralized. 
but they want crypto in general, but specifically decentralized was called out. They want to remove blockchain. They don't want to call blockchain out. Blockchain is a simple form of documentation that's anonymous in nature. It is where your wallet lives. It's where the various tokens live and it tracks and documents all the various exchange of currency from A to B. So you can't really have crypto without blockchain in the loop. Them trying to exclude blockchain from the conversation tells me all they care about are the assets that you're sitting on. I describe this as basically crypto at rest. If we categorize it as crypto at rest versus crypto in motion, crypto at rest is are you holding asset X? Crypto in motion would be are assets moving and there's a lot of noise right through the blockchain because there are millions and millions, hundreds of millions of transactions that are flowing and then all the different networks. It looks to me like they don't care about the flow of information back and forth. They care about who's sitting on what, who holds what. And in, since it's descend, that would necessarily have to include all the various swaps. There wasn't very much information about this, uh, the impetus of this, and they, they're trying to look into the risks of what that might be. Obviously, the risk is a loss of anonymity, number one, top of the list. The concern was raised about misleading advertisements. If you think back to all the various outcry, and I have another news article that talks about this, but the various outcry around, hey, Miss Chib, buy this. And that's kind of the current thing people do is they'll hook into the fact that people missed out on Shib to do targeted marketing and they'll put them in the subways and everything else. The second concern that they raised was a lack of information. So this goes to the not just KYC, but also how do you know how your money's being used and where your money's going? And I've called out in various tokens, what is, what's going into the marketing wallet? What's going into the dev wallet? And how do you keep those separated? So their concern really hinges around two things. One, are you potentially misleading people by way of your advertising? Two, are you potentially misleading people by way of a lack of information? That's what's driving this push as far as what they know. And so this came out from um, social media initially, and they're going to try to see if they can lock it down as best they can. I don't think they're going to have an issue passing regulation because different locations are able to regulate, like Coinbase, for example, or Robinhood's probably a better example. In Robinhood and using the United States, Robinhood lets you trade crypto everywhere except Hawaii and Nevada, which makes no darn sense. But Hawaii and Nevada are the only two states you cannot trade some form of crypto. Used to be in New York that you couldn't trade, I believe it was SHIB for the longest time in New York, and that was Wall Street, so it made sense. So there's always been kind of this regulation around certain targeted things. However, none of those have ever affected the descend side. You could always spin up a wallet. It just got harder to actually find a place to sell it to you unless you jump through hoops. Many people, as I've said, would prefer to go through the centralized exchanges. They are trying to stay in compliance with whatever law is local. So I suspect that what's going to happen is that you will have some outcry, I would assume, from local people, because I would assume this is not popular, if it goes forward. The question is whether it goes forward, and then does the United Kingdom try to follow suit because they think it's the right idea. Not because they're coerced or forced, but 
Do they think it's a good idea? Do they agree with these findings about being misled? This goes back to my concerns that I've always stated about when there are these tokens and they release very limited information, the white paper's scarce, the website's not, is a joke, and there's all this lack of detail and you come across sketchy or even worse, let's say you have all the great information possible, but your team sucks, your dev team sucks, and they're just terrible to deal with. And there's many projects that I've bullish on, but they got terrible development teams like Satama, great example, Shiv, great example. When you have that, that also comes across as sketchy. That might be when we talk lack of information, right? Satama releases a, a tool to the store. It's left in test. And then later they say, yeah, we did that on a purpose. Do, do, do. And then they don't answer questions. The AMA, as far as I'm told, I don't participate because I'm done with them uh, as far as the development side. The far as the AMA, people are outcry. They're not happy with the responses on the AMAs. So that goes to lack of information. Could that kind of thing cause more of a pushback from the United Kingdom at large following Britain's lead? That's kind of the open question that we don't know. And I don't know from the news that came out. Just it's something to be aware of. Again, if you are there, if you're in it, I would love to hear any feedback you've got from the trenches. Is this a big nothing burger, as somebody once said, or is there something here? Are people largely in, fa in favor of it, right? Are they supporting it because they're tired of being scammed? Or are they freaked out because they don't want the government in their business? Any feedback you got from anybody who's listening, I would love to hear it. doesn't have to be from Britain in general. It can be from anybody in the UK, anybody who's near the UK, anybody that has any information. I would love to hear that. The big news that happened, Crypto.com. And if you go back episodes, you will notice that I, I purposely refused to cover Crypto.com because they went mobile only. And I've never been a supporter of mobile only. I believe that you need to be friendly to all sides. And mobile, as I've talked about with Cytomask, tends to be hard to deal with and it's kind of a problem. So I refuse to cover them because they're mobile only and they refuse to do a web interface. They're nice people. I've talked to them but they refused to do a web interface. Well, turns out that, uh, I guess this happened yesterday, they identified that there was a potential breach. Users were seeing unauthorized transactions in their, in their account. There was roughly $15 million worth of crypto that were stolen from the exchange. Then the, this, the hackers funneled it through a service called Tornado. Tornado, to simplify how it works, in, Bitcoin, in blockchain by default, when you do a transaction, I send my wallet and I send you $50 to your wallet, public wallet, public wallet. We can always go to the blockchain and see that record of that transaction happening. So if somebody were to steal something from my wallet by default, I can know where it goes. I may not know who holds the wallet, but at some point there has to be some sort of a fiat cash out. And I should be able to trace those transactions back if I'm really good at it. Tornado takes and you would send the money into basically... And it cycles a bunch of different wallet addresses that are randomized. And so it's like shuffling cards in a sense. And then the sending on the back end is completely obscured from the front end transaction, which means it's hard to find where all that money goes when you do that. A lot of hackers, a lot of illicit traders will use that in order to essentially launder funds when they take money out and they want to launder it and move, remove the, the paper trail of what happened even legal people, like people on the above the surface, will do it because they're trying to hide their tracks and stay truly private. That was the whole reason for Tornado. 
But with Crypto.com, they don't know exactly how it happened. They know it happened. They confirmed that it happened on social media. And they were, it was, again, only brought to attention because they were seeing these suspicious transactions happening. It may be very similar to what happened with BitMart, which I maintain was an inside job. In BitMart's situation, they said that there was a problem with some of the wallets. It didn't affect the totality of it, but it did affect some of the wallets. Now, Crypto.com said that user funds weren't lost. That seems kind of weird because if users saw the transactions, that means the money moved somewhere. And so I don't know exactly how that all pans out, but they swear that no money was lost in in what happened. This came out officially from Crypto.com themselves. They didn't lose, you didn't lose any money. We were down for about 14 hours. Uh, we locked stuff down. And then once we investigate it, then we'll go ahead and communicate what's going on. By and large, <laughs> people have kind of chimed in and said, no, money did lose. Money went out. Money was gone. So we don't know what you're talking about. I don't know if that means that, I, I think what he's possibly meaning, the person with crypto.com, usually an exchange that knows what the heck they're doing will have kind of an internal insurance type deal. So you'll have funds that are purposely reserved in the event of some sort of a loss. So like, for example, when I was trying to send money out of L Bank recently, I tried to send BNB, I tried to send Tron, I tried to send Algorand, and it would get caught up in this status called billing. It would get just stuck there, especially Algorand. And it was there for like a day, and I eventually yelled at him and said, what the heck's going on? And then magically it just reverts back. This also happened to Gate.io. So I assume, and this is the only assumption, I'm not in that room, but I assume what happens is they have some kind of insurance level funding that's there in order to make the customer right in case something goes wrong with the blockchain. That makes logical sense to me because, again, blockchain, you just can't know if and when something goes wrong. Just the early this morning, I was working some stuff on the Phantom Network and my BNB started disappearing randomly. So there's weird stuff that happens with blockchain and I... It would not surprise me if the exchange simply had some sort of a nest egg to help ensure when transactions don't go right that they're able to make the customer whole. So I don't think it's that they didn't lose money. I suspect they did lose money, but it's that they were able to make the customers whole so that the customer didn't lose anything from their bag, or if they did, it would be replenished back. So they locked the stuff down, and then they they totally stopped withdrawals for a period, and then they turned it back on. Apparently, they had resolved whatever it was. Their communication was very good. They didn't hold anybody in the loop, which is what happened with BitMart. They held people in the loop. Unlike them, Crypto.com did a very good job, I think, of communicating and letting people know what's going on with this thing and acknowledging there was a problem. What's uncertain? And again, if you got feedback on this, by all means, please do chime in as to what you see or what you hear with this Crypto.com situation. And whether you specifically did lose money, if you did lose money, you know, we can talk about it a little bit further, but they're saying that nobody should have lost any money. So I don't know what to believe because I know with the hacks, it's like, yeah, you should be losing something because the money, it's not magic internet money to quote the guy from the, from the Congress. And then the last part of the news, the prime, one of the prime ministers in uh, India, Narendra Modi. Narendra, sorry, Modi called out and wanted to have some common sense in crypto. And when we start regulating crypto to use some common sense. Now, 
anybody that knows India, I know it gets a bad rap in the United States in particular because of offshoring and outsourcing and what happened with Disney and all this. It gets a bad rap. The truth is it's one of the most financially, I don't want to say independent, that's wrong, but financially strong countries you can think of with very intelligent people out there. But it gets a bad rap because there have been situations where they'll set up like call centers and completely underpay these people. They're highly skilled people, but they're completely underpaid for what they do. And then these businesses in the United States leap to that because they're saving tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars over hiring American citizens because the regulations are sketchy. And so your service is garbage as a result. And it's not their, the people's fault over there. They're just trying to make a living. It's the fault of the United States businesses. So I want to be clear that India, this, there's, there's a negative perception around India, but I'm stressing to you right here, right now, that it has some of the most brilliant people you'd ever meet, meet especially working in the IT sector. They're just brilliant people, and they're, they're forward-thinking. They're the ones that really try to push new and innovative and things that are going to push us forward as a society. They are at the forefront of it. Dubai alone, that's why Floyd Mayweather is trying to go out there and do another exhibition because he knows there's a lot of money to be made. There's a lot of people that want to see what they normally don't, don't get to see. So I don't think it's fair, frankly. I'm just saying that here. And the prime minister kind of backed up what I'm saying. He spoke out and said that, that he wants kind of the, the world to get, a, get around cryptocurrency, but do it in a common sense way and kind of say, we got to make decisions as a group. We can't just do stovepipe. And this may have been a response. I don't know this. I'm speculating. This may have been a response to the whole uh, Britain thing. India still has kind of a, a topsy-turvy relationship with crypto. They were trying to do a banning, complete ban on cryptocurrencies. There, there's, And then the United States, they don't know what they're doing. And so it is true that every country is kind of doing their own thing. And he's trying to say we really should need to get on the same page here and just create one standard that works. Well, there's certainly common sense in what he says, because think about it. If you have cryptocurrencies legal here but illegal over here, number one, all this is going to do is force it all underground. They're just going to push it underground, and everybody's going to trade it at an illicit, some dark net type thing. It's not going to stop it. It's just going to send it underground, and then VPNs make it hard to track it. But number two, let's say they completely open it up. Well, if they open it up, I think the reason that some countries are hesitant to open it up is because of the amount of scams that happen, honeypots that happen, and the mistreatment of investors by companies like Satama where they won't fix things and get things resolved but also communicate and tell the truth and be forthright and acknowledge their issue. The reason I keep harping on that, if you look at Japan, for example, Japan their executives, right, if the company screws up and the investors lose money or the customers aren't happy, you'll see that the CEO of the company over there says, hey, I'm giving back my salary. I don't deserve it because I did. I failed you. In the United States, they'll have some scandal where customers are out, built $500 million in the next news article. Yep, that CEO just took another billion dollars in stock. It's backwards. And so there, there's kind of this honor system that applies in certain countries where they do trust the people and they do want to try to crunch down on corruption and then other countries where the corruption runs rampant and in the middle you got this layer of your regular traders re retail traders hedge funds whoever where there's scams or honeypots or whatever 
Then you got these big players like celebrities and some odd shilling these tokens that end up being pump and dumps. Like there's all this where people are hesitant to completely open up the floodgates because they don't want their citizens to be taken for a ride, which I agree with. What I don't agree with is an outright ban because I think it's the wrong response to it. I am okay with some regulation, smart regulation that helps protect people without limiting the potential of what crypto can do. Again, I would put a ban on any of that shilling, all that nonsense, and put names and amounts to all of that. So if you, let's say Floyd Mayweather decides to shill some project, we want his name on record, and this should be documented at the government level, his name's on record, how much money was he paid to do it, how much money is in it, and it's then tracked on a regular basis by whatever entity. And if that thing dumps, he is on the hook to pay back the investors. Like something like that, that would then completely discourage, it would trash the whole Schiller market. And you're like, why would you do that? Because Schillers are the wrong answer for the success of cryptocurrency. Yes, they're there to help exposure of it. But what it does when you do that kind of stuff is it causes people like Britain leadership and others to say, no, we got to ban this, got to cut it down. We got to get rid of this, got to stop this. That's what I'm saying. And I would rather not have those laws get in our way of something that could be successful. But the only way that can happen is to stop the true sources of that of that corruption, because that's what it is. We got to get rid of the shilling. We got to get rid of shilling individual projects. It's not the right answer. And I do agree with Mr. Modi to say, no, we got to get on the same page and come to one standard across the world instead of these stovepipe standards, because it's not serving anybody this, even in the United States alone, we should have one standard for the whole country, and we don't. we got different standards for each state, which is stupid. We're not provinces like Canada, so why are we behaving like provinces? It's because each state has their own government who has a certain level of autonomy, and that's fine. But then at what point do we start doing some common sense, get back down to the earth, start talking about all getting on the same page, create one standard, and then we all just have to play with it even if we don't necessarily like it. So that's my rant and then my news for today. And I want to get to our underdog. It's not even a token. And I'm not sure that underdog qualifies for this one. I guess it kind of does because it's only been around for a while. It just went live recently. It's just its size is so unbelievable. But I, I do want to talk about this guy because it it helped me in a situation. And in order to understand the situation, I have to kind of backtrack a little bit and talk about the, the network because it's not on your usual network so that you can understand why it was able to solve the problem that I had. Let's start with the problem. The problem was I needed to buy into the phantom network, which I've never done to this point. I didn't need to, but recently there was a token that caught my eye, which I will cover in some future episode, but I needed to get the initial gas. This coverage for these guys is less about their token and more about their approach because I would love to see it applied across the board. I want to see what they did on every single swap possible and the common sense of it. I actually mentioned, why doesn't anybody do this? And here they are. And I loved it. So the name of this service is called Elk Finance. Elk Finance is, they refer to themselves as a blockchain, but they built a tool that intersects the various networks, and for what I can tell, they got pretty much all the big ones. They've got Avalanche, they got Phantom, they got Binance, they got Polygon, BNB, Hecko, XDAI, which is a different one I've never talked about, KCC, which is off KuCoin, Who, 
which H-O-O is the name, O-A-C, Harmony, Telos, Kronos, Elastos, Moon River. They've got almost everybody captured here. I didn't see Tron on there. I'd love to see Tron because if they add Tron, that solves a different problem I'll talk about at some point. But what they did is they set up their token on each and every one of these various networks. So it's the same Elk token, but it's present on each network you know, legitimately. It's not like SHIB where the SHIB Binance is garbage. It is legitimately on all the different networks. But I only, I was, it was referred to me, somebody else mentioned it in passing because I need to solve my problem. How do I get freaking gas on the Phantom Network? And normally what I would do is I would go to an exchange, I would put in whatever I had as a source, and then I would trade it to USD Tether, and then I would buy Phantom from there, and then I would exchange it. The problem is, is that Phantom sometimes is blocked from withdrawals from exchanges. I didn't try in this case, but I know that to be the case because it happens a lot with Algorand. It happens sometimes with Tron. It even happened to SHIB one time. So I didn't trust it, and I wanted to have a, like, there's got to be a better way to solve this problem and potentially other problems. And I've ranted about the inability to just get gas in a certain source coin, and why can't they just take the source coin to give me the gas? So they have a couple of tools. They've got their regular D app, just like most of the other services. So they have their own coin, but they have a service around the coin. So follow me here. The coin exists on all these different networks. That, and then they built a swap tool so that you can exchange the coin from one network to another. It's the same coin. Or you can go into a given network and buy that coin directly on the network. So you can do either or. You can say, use my elk on Binance and get elk on Polygon. Or the flip is that you can say, I'm on Polygon and I want to buy elk. Either would work. You always need gas in order to do the initial transaction. So no matter what you do, anytime you buy into a new network, that's pretty much all of them, you have to have the gas to get it started. And this stops a lot of people. And then they go to the exchange, which is what you're really supposed to do because that's the easiest, fastest way to do it. The problem, of course, with the exchange, if you think if you crunch the numbers, usually there's a minimum to do a withdrawal. That minimum is generally high unless it's one of the faster networks. So like Ethereum, I don't remember exactly what it was, but I want to say it's like $50, some crazy nuts number. Coin Tiger, I just tried to do something. They wanted $14 for a Tron withdrawal, whereas Gate.io is like 10 cents. So you can't trust what that withdrawal amount is. That's why I have multiple exchanges, because I can't ever know when an exchange is going to rip me off and charge me nuts, or if it's going to be nice and easy and petty. I've kind of got a sense for BNB, Hotbit's going to be the cheapest for that one. Tron, I can do Hotbit, I can do KuCoin, I can do Gate.io, I can even do LBank. But LBank tends to block and freeze, and like I told before, and then I have to call them, and I don't like that garbage. Hotbit's been the most reliable so far, but Hotbit doesn't have every coin. And then sometimes these will just simply block it, freeze it. So I've tried not to go to the exchanges unless I absolutely felt it was the right answer. So then I, I got referred, like I said, this is a random message on Reddit, and they said, go to this Elk Finance, and then just do it there. And it took me a little bit to figure out, what, how does this work? And that's what I want to explain to you, because this may be a solid tool for you as you continue your crypto journey, if you ever need to do this kind of swap, because I frankly think if you're, if you're mostly into decentralized, meaning your own wallet, 
it might be the easiest way to do cross network exchanges that I can think of when you are new to the network, like you've never done it before, or maybe you just want to increase your gas without having to do the minimums, do the fees and everything else that the exchanges charge. So the way this works in Elk, and it it's going to take a little bit to wrap your head around it, but it makes sense when you do it. But the way this works is let's build a scenario. You're in Ethereum. So you've got X number of Ethereum or X number of USDC or X number of USDT, whatever you, but you're in the Ethereum network and you want to get into Polygon because you want to buy some NFTs that you saw. And they're mostly Polygon these days. There are some ETH, but let's say this one is going to be the Polygon. So in order to do this again, normally you go to the exchange, but with this one, the way it works is that you will go to their their tool, their cross-chain swap tool. You will connect it to the Ethereum network. You will buy their ELK token, and then you will tell it, I want you to go to the Polygon chain. Here's where it gets cool, though. When you do this, you can tell it there's a box at the bottom that says swap it for gas. And what it will do is it will basically swap however much you told it straight to the gas on your target network. So in this case, Polygon. Well, that's huge because that means that now, of course, I wouldn't recommend doing this with Ethereum because you'll be charged twice. You'll be charged first. Theoretically, you could avoid some of it, but you'll be charged for the initial Ethereum conversion transaction. That's gas fees. You're going to be charged that. Then you would be charged for a second one for whatever source currency you really want. You could just bulk transfer the source, the total source to the gas on the polygon, which is Matic, and then use Matic to buy whatever you want. And Matic's cheap. It's like a 10 cents, 15 cents at most. So you could theoretically do that. But the beauty of that checkbox, swap it for gas. I'm buying this coin strictly for the purpose of getting gas on the destination network. Can you imagine how simple, brilliant that is? that you see somebody that solved that problem. I have currency A on network A. I just need gas on network B. Whatever its gas coin happens to be, that's what I want. That's huge. And they're the first I've seen do it. And they're willing to do it. They like doing that. They, they, they want you to do it. Now, here's the caveat. Their tool is in beta. And sometimes the network doesn't work. Sometimes your wallet may not support it. There are some maximums, but the maximums are pretty extreme. Like you'd have to be a high-level whale in order to hit those maximums because they're like $30,000 worth of a thing. So, but let's say that because there's other ways to do those transfers if you're doing high-level amounts of a thing. Like if you're total liquidating your Ethereum to go to Binance or vice versa, to me it makes better sense to just go to USD Tether on that network and then go to any swap or multi-chain is another one, and then just swap it straight that way, or just simply go to an exchange, because that once you're in the high dollar amounts, there's a limit on how much capacity they have, because they only have certain amounts of tokens available for this process. So their limits are reasonable, and there's no real minimum that I can see, or if there is one, I didn't hit it. When I did it, it worked fine with $3, and that's all I needed, because that's all I needed on gas in that network. The reason I'm calling this out, again, it's brilliant that they were the first to think of doing something so simple as say, I, yes, my goal is my, my end goal is to get gas on that network. 
So let's use your token to help me get that gas on that network because ultimately that's all I care about is getting that token and I have no other way to do it and I don't want to go to the exchange and they're not charging any extra. There's no fees. There's no minimums. Go straight to your wallet so you don't have to worry about the you know, deposit X and then sell it on a limit order to USD Tether and then go to the other one and then do a limit order buy to the token you want and then do a withdrawal. But oops, there's a minimum and you don't meet the minimum and then you're charged a fee. Like the exchange is pretty fast, but there's a lot to it where it's so totally not cost effective to do it that way for a small amount that you might need. And if you only need it for gas, it really is a small amount versus something like this. So my summary for you on this, these guys did a brilliant job thinking through that problem and everybody has the problem. It's not specific to any network. It mostly is going to affect you on the Polygon and Tron, which I didn't see in the list, but Tron, uh, Polygon, those are the two big ones. And then of course, Phantom is to a lesser degree. Uh, Iotex is another one. So it to me, this was brilliant in the way that they did it. Now, I want to give some clarifications on why something like this was necessary to build, and I'm glad that they built it, and I hope that they package this up and create it as a, as a true thing because it solves a lot of problems. When you say, say you want Matic, Polygon, and let's say you're on Coinbase. Coinbase will let you buy Polygon, but it's not on the Matic network. It's the Matic token but it's on the Ethereum chain. So if you were to send that to your wallet, you're not going to be able to really transact with it because it's not on the Polygon network. There are swaps, quick swap in that case, where you could swap it over to the Matic version, but because it's Ethereum, you're going to get nailed on gas fees. Like understand that the whole reason for something like this is around the gas fees you would get nailed with just to be able to get into a gas token as opposed to being able to send it straight into that gas token from scratch and not have to worry about it, that garbage. And with the exchanges, all the different fees and the minimums and all the hoops you have to jump through, possible KYC, depending on the exchange, that you completely avoid if all you need to do is get that initial bit of gas. Like you might have thousands of dollars, right, that you were sent and it was USD Tether and it was sent to you on the Phantom Network. And then you're like, cool, I'm, I'm in the money. And then you want to go and withdraw it and you can't. You want to go trade it and you can't because you don't have that initial gas because they didn't send you the phantom coin in order to meet the gas fee, which is stupid, right? You're, and you're thinking, well, why can't I just have that USD tether from phantom automatically give me the gas? Why can't you just take a slice of it for the gas? Why can't you figure some way that I don't have to hold this coin off to the side? That's what this does. It allows you to get rid of that nonsense using their coin, the ELK token, as that bridge, kind of like a bridge liquidity in a way to get over to the gas that you need. And you can do as much or as little as you want. And now if you're sitting on money, you're, not, you're no longer trapped. And I think it's a beautiful thing. And I love that they did it. And I applaud them for doing it. And I will add them for that because if they can finalize this thing and formalize it so it's no longer in the beta, I think this is huge and I would refer multiple people to it and multiple people to hold it. Cause you got to think about there's other things in their network that I won't talk about in this episode. Cause there's a lot to it. And this is starting to get into different categories of cryptocurrency that there's a lot of them that I haven't even talked about yet, but there's so much to talk about. I'm not sure I can fit it in a traditional news episode like this because 
these like you know scary capital and elk finance and and multiverse and others they're in a whole different category from just a token they're doing a lot more for users and they're now getting into more use case application utility strong utility ones that i think you can have a play at to support what you're trying to do but if they're truly successful the reason i want them to succeed is it gives me incentive to possibly invest in them from a pool perspective or from a staking perspective, because it means that as more people get on something like this, I know it's a common problem. And I know a lot of people have that problem. And if I only took a million people that had that problem, like think about it. If a million people had that problem, you could be sitting on gold, not literal gold, but virtual gold, just by providing liquidity for those folks, just by staking your tokens to support the process, there's a huge potential here, and I love that they did it, and I love them for it, and it solved my business problem that nobody else had been able to solve. I want to see that same checkbox on every swap out there because to me it should be a standard, and I don't know why it's not, and I don't know why we've allowed this nonsense to be a problem other than maybe ETH2O hopes. So that's elk.finance is the site if you want to take a look at it, and then there's swap tools called ElkNet that I'm referring to. I, I do recommend you take a look at it, see if it makes sense for you. But at minimum, if you need just gas and that's all you need, I would definitely refer you to them for that because they solved it in beautiful fashion.